Today, we're going to wrap up a series uh, called Regeneration. And uh, we want to go ahead and just welcome uh, our Edgewood campus. Man, we are so pumped about what God is doing in Edgewood. Uh, three weeks consistently right now that uh, they've had 200 plus people over there. And so... <clears throat> You guys in Edgewood, keep it up, and uh, hey, we, we look forward to see what God does on that campus as well as here in Wills Point. Now, over the last three weeks, we've been in this series called Regeneration, and the very first week, I said throughout the, the entire series, we're going to be tempted with a couple of things. The very first thing is that as we walk through this Regen series, we oftentimes think, well, this is for someone else, and we, we oftentimes look at someone, we, we even uh, will say to one of our pastors, and it's even happened already, okay, man, I really wish my, my son was here, man, I really wish that my, my daughter would have heard that, and oftentimes we make these these messages, these series of regeneration about someone else rather than us. But I want you to understand that regeneration is about all of us. As a matter of fact, the second temptation that we said you're going to struggle with throughout the entire series is thinking that regeneration is some sort of program, that is some sort of ministry. But I'll tell you today, and, and as we've said the last few weeks, that regeneration is a recovery process for all of us. Matter of fact, we are all in recovery. And just as the video showed that we, we played just a few minutes ago, uh, just as what Mark shared, just as the scripture that Brian read in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 8, we're all having to be made alive in Christ. Why? Because we once, we formerly walked in patterns of sinfulness. We formerly walked in patterns of the flesh where we promoted ourselves and our own agenda more than that of what God wanted in our lives. And so that's the struggle. The struggle is, is here's the life I've made for myself, and this is the life that God wants for me. And so in this series, here's what we've been talking about. Just to, to put it all down in a plain and simple way, is we've just been talking about how do we get healthy? Like how do we get to a place where we're healthy in our lives? And I think many of us in here, we ask that question. And I think many of us in here, after you pull all the layers back, would say, I'm not completely healthy. I've got some things that I need to continue to work on. And I've got some areas of growth that I need to move forward in. And I don't know about you, but every time that I get sick, which is about four to five times a year, I'll come down with a, a good cold or some sort of sinus infection. And, and what I typically do is I kind of cope with my own strategies, understand? And so like you start out and you think, oh, I'm going to just kick it with a little bit of ibuprofen. And after ibuprofen, then you, you move to like Mucinex or Sudafed or, you know, it gets really bad. You go and you get the Allegra D, you know, I hate physicians. Not that I hate them, but I hate their offices. I hate sitting in there. I hate going in there. I hate the smell. I hate everything about it. And if I can avoid a physician, I'm going to. But what I oftentimes find out, out of the six times I get sick a year, there's three of them that I just can't kick it on my own. And at some point, I have to get so bad that I get a shot right in my rump, right? And it's like every single time I, I realize, man, I should have just gone to the doctor right off the bat instead of dragging it out for three or four weeks. And so I'm not just sick four or five, what, times a year, but actually three or four months a year. And the reason why is, is because I believe this lie that I can kick it with a little bit of medicine. 
And that's what regeneration is all about. We think that we're okay. And we see patterns of sinfulness crop up in our lives several times a year. For some of us, it's a habitual pattern. It's something that we do often. For others, it's something that reoccurs not just every once in that while, but on a pattern, a schedule. And for some, it's every three weeks. For some, it's every time that you get a little stress in your life. And what we do is, is we begin to, to, to take the internal struggle we have and deal with it through cough medicine. We find other patterns to cope with our own sinfulness. And we have coping mechanisms, cough medicine, rather than running to the great physician. But the whole point and premise of recovery is simply this, is that you have to come to the place where you know you're not the physician. Like you have to come to the place where you know, listen to me, that you are not God. And that's the problem with so many of us. That's the reason that so many of us can't enter into full, full stage of recovery in our lives is because we want to continue to be in control. We want to use coping mechanisms and devices to cover up rather than turning to the great physician, Jesus Christ, the very one who wants to heal us of everything that's gone wrong in our life. And I know, I, I know exactly what you're thinking. You're, you're thinking, but I don't know that I can be healed. And you listen to Mark's story. You listen to him and he, he says that God just reached down and he gripped a hold of me so strongly that I even left a half a can of beer untouched. And though the struggle for you may not be alcohol, the struggle in your life is real and God has to set us free from it. But he can't do it until you're willing to walk through some of these steps. And the steps are the, the, the very steps in the program, regeneration that take place every Monday night here at Stone Point but there are also steps that apply to our lives every single day. The very first thing is that you simply admit, you admit that, that your, your life is unmanageable and that you are powerless over your own sinful patterns. That, that in your own life and in your own will, that you, you literally just can't manage it all. You got that? Like, we're powerless. Step two is though believing that there is someone who can fully restore you. And that person is Jesus, that he can fully restore you. And so in essence, you're not God, right? And, and so you can't, you fall short, but he measures up. We can't, but he can. And then as you move through that, you begin to trust him with your life. You give over your will, you give over your inclination, you give over your heart, you give over your life, and you trust him. And that's a difficult step for many of us in this room because we have no problem understanding that we fall short. We have no problem understanding that God has the power to fully restore us, but we have trust issues and we don't think we can go all in. And so for many of us, we're hung up on step two and three. But as you take that dive in and you say, I'm gonna trust you, God, then you invite him into your life and into your story. And as he invades your life, you cannot help but allow the spirit to begin to search you and know you. And one of the coolest things about Mark's story is that I've seen a pattern in his life over the last 15 or 16 months of just freedom. Freedom of, of seeing God do amazing things within him. And just to see the light that he now exudes, the, 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 the blessing that he is, and it's because he allowed God to search and know him. And that's literally what David prays in Psalm 51, Lord, search me, know me. And he wanted what? To, 
God, for him to create a, a pure heart within him. And so he said, do an inventory of my life, Lord. And so that's what happens in step four. You allow him to search you. You do a fearless moral inventory. You allow God to really get into the muck and the mire and to bring you out of that, to take your old life, that old wood in your life, and to begin to make something beautiful out of it. And then as you allow inventory, then it brings a couple other things, things that we don't like to talk about in the church. Confession with other people, repentance in our lives, where we turn and we, we head a different direction. And that's what recovery is about. And then last week, we talked about that it brings us to the point where we, we finally begin to follow Christ completely, that we die to ourself, that, that when we take up the cross and we follow Jesus, when you deny yourself and do that, then you're literally coming up under Christ and you're submitting yourself as a, as a bond servant, as a slave to him saying, God, I no longer want to be in control. And so you ask him to humbly change your heart and mind. Like, God, help me to follow you. And then as you, as you follow, then guess what? It brings forgiveness and peace. And you begin to reconcile some, some things that, that are wrong. And we talked about this. Forgiveness is this. And I want to put it up for you again. Forgiveness is a conscious decision. Remember this? To redeem something wrong. It's something that has been is wrong. It means that there was a point in time where something either happened to you or something that you knew that you shouldn't have done or been involved in, but you did, but it's taking it. It's making a wrong right by deciding to offer mercy with our heart, mind, soul, and strength, because we exemplify what our master's done for us. Forgiven people forgive. And as we do that, then what do we do? We begin to live at peace with all men as much as possible we make amends. We go and we make things right. Yes? And you go, wow, that's, that's kind of a, a long process. And you may look at this and go, I don't know that I can walk these steps, but I want you to understand, and this is the, the incredible thing. If you invite Christ into your story, if you allow him to search and know you, if you allow him to, to be the great physician, and instead of using your Mucinex and your cough medicine and your ibuprofen and all the things to numb yourself, if you'll just allow him to do a complete inventory and then hand those over to him, then he begins to set you free. And things that you never thought you could be free of, he frees you of. And then he allows you to begin to be a blessing to others. And the, the incredible thing about today's message, the last three steps, though, though they're not fancy to me, they're freeing. Though they're not fancy, they're very freeing. And the reason why is because God invites you not to simply know the physician, not simply to, to go to the physician, but to share other people with other people about the great physician. And, and that's really what these last steps are about. And so in the process of getting healed, step 10 is this, you continue to move forward. You continue to allow God to invest in your life. Matter of fact, this is what step 10 is. We continue, listen to this, to take personal inventory. And when we sin, we promptly confess it and turn to walk with Christ. Y'all see this? Now look, you go, wait a second. We've already taken inventory. And inventory is one of the most painful and excruciating processes in our faith. And the reason why is because we have to deal with things that we don't want to deal with. 
And then to see step 10 as you continue to walk in that is even more difficult. Why? Because you oftentimes think, is my, is my life going to continually be a mess? And the answer in some ways is yes, and the answer in some ways is no. Are you a mess? Yes. Will you always be a mess? In some sense, yes. Why? Because there's a daily battle to gratify the desires of the sinful nature. That is the flesh. That's, okay, Ephesians 5 or Galatians 5. And so you, you have that real struggle, but here's the other part of it. You know the great physician. You know that any time that patterns of sinfulness crop up in your life, you know where to run to. And instead of running to your own devices, instead of running to the old patterns that you used to use as coping mechanisms, you just now run to Christ and to community with other people. And so as you invite people into the story, you know that he, he's able to search and know you and do a fearless moral inventory over and over and over and over and over again. And continuing is the greatest part of our lives because continuing means that you never stopped. Continuing means that you never stopped. And so look at this, Psalm 139, 23 and 24, David says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me to the way everlasting. Do you see this? Paul said it a different way, a way that I think many of us can understand. David says, Lord, search me and know me, move throughout my life, lead me to a place that, that leads in the way of everlasting life. So he says, move out of the patterns of sinfulness and move to the patterns of life and truth. Here, Paul in Romans 12, look what he says, 1 and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present yourselves as what? Your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual act of worship. Now, I don't know about you, but do you know the hardest thing about continuing is to be a living sacrifice? And I know you've never really thought about it. Like, you've never really thought about a sacrifice and what all that means, and specifically a living sacrifice. Because let me ask you a question. In the Old Testament, did you ever have a living sacrifice? No. Every sacrifice that was pleasing to God died. And so how in the world can you be a living sacrifice? Well, here's the most incredibly difficult thing about continuing in the process of God's grace and being a living sacrifice is that as you meet with God, you oftentimes want to crawl off the altar, don't you? That you're prone to leave the God that you love. And so like, he wants us to be a living sacrifice. He wants to use his character to bring forth light and life and salt in all of the people around us. But yet the problem for so many of us in continuing is that it gets a little difficult and we're prone to crawl off of the altar. We're prone to say, no, 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 I can't allow me to continue to be a sacrifice. And that is the greatest war that's being waged in us, is being a living sacrifice. Because you and I want to crawl off the altar of sacrifice. But isn't that the point of denying yourself, taking the cross and following Jesus is saying, God, I want to continue every day coming back to your grace, coming back to your mercy. I want to experience rejuvenation. I want to experience your renewal every single day. And you continue to walk in that. And how? 
through your spiritual act of worship. And, and what is that? It's this, verse two, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing, you may discern what the will of God is, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And so that as you go through things that you've always gone through, you now use those as opportunities to live for God. You now use those as an opportunity to show his truth to other people. And it's a, it's a choice. You, you have to continue to either walk in Christ or you have to continue to walk in your old patterns. But the thing about recovery, the thing about a 12-step program, listen, is you never graduate. You never graduate. And that is, I think, the biggest lie that we've told ourselves in our own lives. If I can dedicate 10 months to a year of recovery on Monday nights, if I get my golden coin that says that I've graduated, then now I'm healed. And I would tell you and concede to you that no, that is a lie. Healing is a continual process until we see Jesus face to face. Regeneration is a daily process called sanctification. It's continuing to grow in Christ. It's being rooted. It's being built up. It's being strengthened in the faith so we can overflow in thankfulness. Colossians 2, 6, and 7. The idea of this part of recovery means we never graduate. We always keep coming back to the physician we always keep living our lives as a sacrifice daily, knowing that our hearts are prone to leave the God we love, knowing that we are prone to what? Walk off the altar, but yet we continually, every day, concede our lives and our wills to a holy God, knowing, trusting, and abiding in him, believing that his way is better than our way. And as you do that, it produces two last things in our life. Two things that I think many of us in this room lack, if we're honest. Step 11, and one thing that we lack, I think, is, is a true intimacy with God. Intimacy is, is as we seek to deepen our relationship with God daily, and we depend on his power to do his will. Now, look at this. It says we seek to deepen our relationship with God daily. We, we deepen our, our relationship with God how often? Daily. And so like, I'm not going to give you a raise of hands. I would love to do that in Edgewood. I would love to do that now. I would love to say, how many of you really deep in your relationship with God daily? But I don't want to embarrass me. And so I just confess to you that this is a very difficult thing. Why? Because I know that the intimacy comes by trusting God and doing his will, not by trusting my own might and my will. And that's my greatest problem as the pastor of our church is that I often find my way to be a better way. I often think that my will is more important than his will. And if I'm not careful, I'll walk right off of the altar and I don't have deep abiding intimacy. Now, and now understand that the, the thing here is not, do I have a quiet time every day? Did I read my one verse, my devotional thought? Because that's what oftentimes gets caught catches us in the snare or the trap is that yes, you got your Bible gateway email or you got your great thought from a Christian website and they sent you this one verse and you read it and you contemplated it for five minutes. But understand the intimacy 
Intimacy is not one five-minute conversation. Intimacy is knowing and trusting in that relationship all day long. Intimacy is this verse, John chapter 17, verse 3, and this is eternal life that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. Do you see that? There's two things right there. Intimacy means you understand two things. One, that you understand what eternal life is about. Eternal life is not some future distant event that you and I will get to be a part of one day. Eternal life is God making himself manifest in us every single day, preparing us for the great wedding feast. Ladies, you remember your wedding? You remember the months and months of preparation? Men, you remember the agony? You remember the months and months of headaches and heartaches wondering, why can't we just pass all of this and just get to the good stuff? You remember, you remember the struggle. You remember all of that as you, you waited for that great day. But intimacy comes through what? A process of continually, what? Knowing, abiding, and preparing yourself, not just for the future event, but for what, what, what's happening in the moment. And I think for so many of us, this is what we think. We think that admitting that our lives are broken and unmanageable is, is not a bad thing to do. We think that believing in God is a good thing. We think that trusting in God is something that we do at camp or at church or under the oak trees by praying one prayer and then leaving it at that. And then we think that our lives should continue maybe a little differently because we ought to go to church. We ought to give to church and we might should even get into a journey group because they talk about it all the time. But as far as a lot of the sinful patterns in my life, a lot of the things I struggle with, I'll just kind of suppress those because I've got eternity off in the distance. And I know that God has a place for me in heaven. But that's not what intimacy is. Intimacy is not looking to a future event. Intimacy is knowing that eternal life is manifesting you through Jesus Christ. And it means that you are now, as Ephesians 2 says, alive in Christ. And being alive in Christ means that you have to be dead to this world, dead to your own power, dead to your own will. And you and I cannot continually, what, climb off the sacrifice that God has, what, manifest in our lives. Understand? And I think that's the challenge. And here's the deal. It's because we do not know the only true God. I'm not talking about know of him because in the Greek, there's two words. There's a, there's a word know, which simply means that you know about. You understand? Like, hey, I, I know about you or I've seen you. Yeah, I, I don't know you personally, but yes, I've heard your name. I, I, I understand a little bit about you. You know enough about someone to know who they are, but you don't know them. And the word here, in John 17, verse 3, to know the only true God is a word of the Greek called gnosko. And it literally means to know as if you are in a deep relationship with your husband or wife. And I'm not talking about simply coffee. I'm talking about sexual intimacy. I'm talking about you know that you've seen things that no one else has seen. And what Jesus is simply saying here is that you would know me. That, that all the barriers would be removed, that there would be such a vulnerability that you would arrest in me, abide in me, and there would be a deep intimacy. Because here's the deal. 
God doesn't simply want to heal you to make a, a better life for yourself. He wants to heal you so that your life is all about him. Now, let me say it one more time because you need to catch that. God does not want to heal you simply to give you a better life. He wants to heal you. He wants to set you free so that your life exudes, exemplifies, and is lived for him. Intimacy is giving up the patterns of your sinfulness, the patterns of your own life and will to live for God. Why? Because regeneration is what the church needs. Step 12, regeneration. You know what the most refreshing thing about Mark's story to me is? It's not just to see how God has set him free, not just to see how he's been healed, not to just see how Sharon has looked at her husband going, who in the world is this man? Because it happens. It's happened in, in many, many lives in many instances. There's a huge confusing point that happens in the life of everyone who gives their lives and hearts to Jesus Christ. Why? Because we know that they're not the way they used to be. And it's confusing to those around. It's confusing to children. It's confusing to coworkers. It's confusing to friends. And it's really confusing to spouses who believed they had deep and abiding intimacy. And now they wonder, I've known this about you for 30 years. What's happened to you? And here's it. Regeneration is taking place. And, and regeneration is this verse that you saw in the video. It's 2 Corinthians 5, 17, 18. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new is come, right? Can I get an amen? Amen. Regeneration is the old is gone. The new has come. All this is from God. Did you catch that? All of this is not a result of you, your grand schemes, your coping mechanisms, your cough medicine, your Sudafed, your ibuprofen, your mucinex, or anything else. Your healing, your transformation, the fact that you're no longer the way that you used to be is because of God. It is because of his marvelous grace. And I'll tell you, and I'll tell any atheistic person, agnostic person, etc. you can argue me all day long about the Bible. I have defense in terms of archaeology. I have defense in terms of unity of the Bible. I have defense that I can make uh, many things. I could argue for hours. But the one thing that to me is even above and beyond this that gives me solid facts for the fact that God is alive and well is for this one reason, that's regeneration. You cannot tell me that Mark is the same as he used to be. You cannot tell me that Rusty is the, the way he used to be. Toby, Richard. Take your pick. Over 200 people who've put their faith in Christ since being here. You cannot tell me that they're the same people. And that's regeneration. And that's the only sticking point that we have at our church. Why? People ask me all the time, Brandon, what are y'all doing over there? How do you grow? There are some people who say, well, y'all are growing because you don't really teach the word and everybody just kind of likes that watered down effect. Okay. There are some that people that say, well, it's because you guys are the hip, cool thing. No, I'll tell you the only reason that we're growing is because God's changed some lives. Truly, it's not a result of me. A matter of fact, I got up here today and I'm like, I'm thinking, man, how do I add another illustration to this message? How do I kind of 
soup this up a little bit because it seems so bland as you talk through 12 steps, but I'll tell you, it's not bland. Why? Because God takes and he transforms a person who was once lost and is now found. He takes someone who walked, was lame, and he's calls them to walk, was once blind and now sees. And it's regeneration. It's something that cannot be man-made. It is not something that's self-taught. It is God reaching down in his glorious grace and taking a man who was once dead and making him alive. And how do you know that's happening? It's because you see that they've surrendered their lives and their wills. They've trusted, they've allowed God to do an inventory. They've confessed, (coughs) they've repented. They've allowed God to to begin to move through their lives. They've had forgiveness and amends. Uh, They're continuing to do this in a daily process. They're, They're beginning to know and have intimacy with God. Why? So they could exude regeneration, that, that, that literally they're a new creation. And what's interesting is all from God, but look at this, who through Christ in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, 18, through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of what? Reconciliation. Reconciliation. He gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Paul says it to the church in Corinthians, 2 Corinthians verse. Uh, or chapter one, verses three and four, he says, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the father of mercies and the God of all comfort. He goes, God's the God of all comfort, but look, who comforts us in all of our affliction. And then look what it says, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in what? Any affliction with the comfort that which, what? Which ourselves has been comforted by God. Do you see that? God takes us, our stories, our lives, our mistakes, he, he transforms them simply so that we can share them with other people. And there have been many people over the years that have shared their lives, their struggles, their life far from God, and they've said simply, God rescued me out of the domain of darkness. He brought me into the marvelous light of Jesus Christ, and for that, I'm walking a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come, and now they're being ministers of reconciliation. And it's a beautiful thing because God created us to live in relationships. Do you understand this? With who? With Him. He creates to live in a deep abiding intimacy with God, to be reconciled to him, to have regeneration, to live with fellowship and others, and then to live pure, authentic, and transparent lives with other people. And the people who are the healthiest in this room, the people who are the healthiest sitting in Edgewood Middle School gym at this moment are the ones who would literally say, I know that I am sick. I know that my life is broken but I know Jesus is the great physician. And I'll tell you that there are many of men and women in this room right now that the message that you need to hear today is this. It's time to surrender your heart and will. For many, it's time to surrender that marriage. It's time. It literally, it's killing you. For some of you, it's time to surrender your child it's time, it's time to surrender your will. For some, it's, it, it's, it's time to surrender 
areas of your life that you don't want to confess, but it's time to confess and repent and turn and trust God and then trust what you know and what's happening to a handful of men or women confessing James 5.16 so that you may be healed. Why? Because you're sick and you need a great physician. Can we all confess? Matter of fact, I'm going to ask, okay, the last, last little question here, okay? How many of you would say, and raise your hand, I hate when I'm sick. Like, it's just miserable, right? Yes. I mean, I mean there's a handful of us like, no, I like it when I'm sick because I don't have to go, go around, you know, to work. And, you know, my wife takes care of everything and I lay in bed and rest, right? But when you're really sick, when your body aches, it's miserable. And there's many of us in here Physically, you look just fine, but your hearts are sick. And you need Jesus Christ to heal you, to make you new, to allow you to have deep abiding intimacy with him and other people so that you can walk for the first time in your life with true freedom, reconciliation, and regeneration. And so I'll tell you, you may want to come tomorrow night to a recovery group and be a part of saying with about 60 or 70 other people, hey, I'm sick, but I want to get healthy. Or if you say Monday nights just don't work, then get this. You can be just like Mark, who under the oak trees confessed to God and said, I need you to take these real struggles. And I need you to make me new. And you begin the process of reconciliation. You begin the process of being transparent with other people. And I don't know of a better place that that can happen than here. We're a place where we would say there are no perfect people. We're all sick and we all need a great doctor. And the best one there is, is a guy named Jesus. Amen. Let me pray for us, church. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this morning. And Father, while the message is not fancy, Lord, it is your word. And I pray, God, that this process of recovery and regeneration is a process that you help us to understand through your word and through the last four weeks that it's not a program. It's not 12 simple steps that we walk through and graduate from and walk across the stage, get our little certificate and our coin and say we're good but that it's actually a process that's taking place in the life of every single believer in this room, that we continually, daily surrender our lives and wills to you. We invite you into our story, into our life, asking that you would continually keep our eyes fixed on you, the author and the perfecter of our faith, that you would continually suppress our wills as we, we are living sacrifices for you, that we no longer conform to the patterns of this world, but that we're being transformed, that our, our minds are being renewed. And Lord, while the greatest struggle for me in this room and many of others, Lord, we want to crawl off the altar of sacrifice. Lord, you want us to stay right there under your grace. Under the umbrella of protection that you offer through your word and through community. God, you want us to know you, to rest in you, to abide in you. And Father, as I stand here, I don't know if there's anything better. Nothing better to, in terms of just feeling where we are in life than just to be healthy. 
God, I pray that you'd make some people healthy here. God, I pray that you would search us and know us. God, if there be any, anything in our lives that you need to rid us of, if, if there be any anxious thoughts, there be any sinful addictions or patterns, I pray that you would just begin to set people free. God, do what only you can do. So we give our wills and our lives to you, trusting that the great physician will heal us. And so God, would you bring a healing that only you can bring? Father, we love you. We thank you for a church who who willingly says, and for people in our church who willingly say that I was once lost, but now I'm found. I was once broken, but I've now been set free. I was once an old life, but now I'm a new creation. And I pray that that would be the very thing that many of us need to hear today, that you set people free. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.